You're currently listening to Fresh Floppies episode 22. Let's get on it. What's up to all our sidekicks and henchfolk out there in the mother-loving geek nation? You're currently listening to the show that I just told you you were listening to at the beginning of the show. Uh, Fresh Floppies is a show wherein we talk about comics on Wednesday, the day that new books come out. I was actually just talking to a customer the other day. They didn't realize that every Wednesday is new comic book day. So now you know that if you did not know that before. It's every single week, brand new books on the shelves at your local comic shop or LCS, as we like to call them. I am Johnny Destructo of Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex, located at 4327 Main Street, Philadelphia, PA, 19127. It's a rad comic shop uh, who caters to you, specifically, individually, you, the listener. Um, I'm all by my onesies today. Because Noel has work to do, and he's he's on vacation, but also working. I'm not quite sure what's going on. He's up to a whole bunch of shenanigans. Uh, so, Fresh Floppies is the show where we talk about the books that are coming out today. No spoilers, so that you can go into your local comic shop armed to the teeth with the bare minimum information that you need to determine if maybe you want to read a book or not. So I'm going to get us started off real quick. Uh, the reason the music was a little spooky uh, for the intro was because Star Wars has a new event kicking off this week, Dark Droids. Part one is called Scourge of the Droids. It's written by Charles Soule with art by Luke Ross, colored by Alex Sinclair, lettered by VCs Travis Lanham. I am a big, big fan of what Charles Soule has been doing in the Star Wars universe with regard to the novels that he's writing for the High Republic era of Star Wars, as well as a lot of what he's been doing. Uh, He's been overseeing a lot of the events that have been going on in Star Wars. And this is number one of a 29-part story. I want to say it's maybe five total of just Dark Droids, the miniseries. But then it also is running through Star Wars, Darth Vader, Dr. Aphra, the Bounty Hunter series, uh, D-Squad 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. I don't know what the D-Squad is yet, but we're going to find out. Um, And it's going to be running through August or starting in August through December. And this is par for the course with what's been going on, starting with uh, War of the Bounty Hunters, and then there was a Crimson Rain. There was a, there's been a couple of them. I'm still catching up. But I actually jumped ahead to check out Dark Droids number one because I was so curious about it. <coughs> Bless my soul. Sorry about that. Um, and this is off to an interesting start. So my problem with Star Wars is that I tend to overthink things like, why would you build a droid like that? Like the very first Star Wars, New Hope, you're shown a droid that's it's seemingly being tortured. They're like burning the poor thing's feet and it's screaming, if my memory serves. And I remember thinking, why would you build, like these are built. These are built and created from by people. Why would you build something that can feel pain? It's a droid. Why would you give it pain sensors? So weird to me. So these things have always sort of permeated my experience of Star Wars. Just like so many of them seem to be AI, but then some of them aren't. But even if they are AI, for the most part, they're subservient. They're like a slave class in Star Wars that everyone just accepts and is generally kind of mean to. 
And I always thought that was such a strange thing to do uh, in a fantasy world where um, these specific choices are made. Anyway, Dark Droids number one. So this is right off of the heels of the previous story where we've seen a lot of Kira. If you remember the Han Solo, the Solo film, um, Kira is actually one of my favorite characters out of that movie. And I was really delighted to see that she's sort of the backbone of what Charles Soule has been doing in the regular Star Wars comics. She is the head of an organization that was previously headed up by Darth Maul, and she took over. Um, and uh, this kicks right off of the heels of that, where we seem to have awakened... A, an AI of some sort or a being that is sort of able to take control of other droids and create a hive mind. And uh, the kickoff of this is pretty gnarly. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's pretty spooky, actually. So I highly recommend Dark Droids, number one. It's off to a great start. Uh, and it deals with some of the questions that I have grown up asking in the Star Wars mythos, like why, why, why does this, why does this exist, and also the repercussions of that. Um, so yeah, first it comes for the metal, is the tagline. Uh, then it comes for everything else. So uh, let's see the uh, as far as how how fresh it is, the presentation is nice. It's got a thicker paper on the covers. Um, I actually have the cover that looks kind of like a movie poster. It's Luke, and he's where he's got his yellow lightsaber, uh, which we've only seen in the comic books. He hasn't had it in any of the films, and it looks kind of like um, just a, a movie poster. He's surrounded by a bunch of different droids that we all recognize as Star Wars fans, and then Star Wars dark droids at the bottom. With then the the little Marvel Comics presents in association with Lucasfilm Publishing. Looks very much like a poster. So it's 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 a good. Um, it's a good presentation. I would say this is pretty dang, pretty dang fresh. Uh, if you're into Star Wars and you're curious about the droids and um, sort of how when they all go evil, maybe uh, that is really terrible for uh, living organic beings. Uh, there's also a sect of characters in here that I've never seen before. And because I'm so behind on my Star Wars reading... I'm not sure if we've met this, the colony of the second revelation. I don't know if we know these cats already, but they seem to be uh, AI driven droids that are self-aware and um, aren't as subservient. And they almost seem kind of religious in their presentation. Uh, I don't think that's a huge spoiler to say, but uh, I'm curious to see if um, we've seen them before. I don't know, but I don't know how much I, like the design of the main character is a little silly looking, so it's hard to take them too seriously. But the rest, the rest of the issue, I think is baller. It's really, really off to a good start. Highly recommend. Um, that's Star Wars Dark Droids, number one. Also on the Marvel tip, but more Marvel-y because it's not Star Wars. It's actually Marvel. Ultimate Invasion number two dropped this week. Jonathan Hickman, Brian Hitch, Andrew Curry, and Alex Sinclair. So an interesting choice. You know, uh, back in, my oh God, maybe 10 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was. There was Secret Wars by John Hickman where the purpose of that storyline was to fold the Ultimate Universe and the 616, the main universe of Marvel, together so that's why we got miles morales 
and uh, a character called the Maker, which is basically a badass, evil version of Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe, and they got folded into the 616. That's why we have two Spider-Men in the regular Marvel continuity, Miles Morales and Peter Parker, both existing here. So uh, if you don't know, Miles Morales actually existed originally in the Ultimate Universe. He was the Ultimate Universe Spider-Man after the Ultimate Peter Parker died, and he took over as Spider-Man. And uh, I loved all those stories, and I was a, a little less attached to him once he came over into the 616. I just felt it just felt a little extraneous, but still love the kid. Uh, I'm still trying to catch up on all of his issues, but it's just, I don't know, I kind of preferred him as the main Spider-Man in another universe. So this ultimate invasion is Jonathan Hickman returning in order to recreate the ultimate universe. And the maker is the one who is going and uh, trans, um, transferring himself over into the ultimate universe. That's what happened in issue one. And now we see that he is trying to alter the ultimate universe to be more like how he wants it to be. He's reformatting the whole universe. So... Um, this is a lot of the Ultimate Universe, but very different than how we left it or how we expect it to be. So I'm kind of curious to see where this is heading. Um, Brian Hitch's art, very, very nice. I, I, you know, the first time I ever saw Brian Hitch was the Ultimates series, uh, which is the first time I ever read and enjoyed an actual Avengers book was the Ultimates, Volume 1. And it was some of Brian Hitch's best work, even to date. Um, and I just, uh, for some reason, Brian Hitch's work hasn't really struck me as much as it used to back in those days. But he seems to be, between this and another book that I'm going to talk about later from DC Comics, uh, much getting much stronger. And I don't know, let's see, who inked this? Brian Hitch is the penciler. And I'm flipping and I'm flipping and I'm flipping. And the inker is Andrew Curry. I definitely think he benefits from stronger inkers. And so it's a pretty good looking book. Uh, and we're dealing mostly with Howard Stark instead of Tony Stark. And um, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything. But if, you're, if you like the Ultimate Universe, if you like Jonathan Hickman, I feel like you'll be into this. Uh, it's a little bit of a slow build so far. I'm not sure how many issues this is supposed to be. Uh, I imagine it's like between four and six issues. But it is going pretty quickly. Um, and I'm enjoying it. I've always loved the Ultimate Universe, so I'm really curious to see where this is ending up. The presentation is also very nice. I love when there's a cardstock cover. It is a thin cardstock, but cardstock nonetheless. It's got a beautiful um, splash page by Brian Hitch uh, featuring Ultimate Captain America, Iron Man, Magic, A Form of the Hulk, um, Thor, Giant Man, etc. Um, but they're present. You know, these all look like regular um, ultimate characters. But you find out in the issue itself, they're not quite what you think they are, which is kind of a nice turn. So, um, yeah, this is pretty fresh as well. They didn't blow my socks off. My socks are still firmly on my feet. Uh, pulled up a little too high uh, for comfortable sake. Um, but pretty good. Pretty damn, pretty damn fresh. All right. Amazing Spider-Man number 30. Legacy number 924. By Zeb Wells, Ed McGinnis, 
Farmer. Oh, gosh, what's, what's Farmer's name? Uh, Mark Farmer, Cliff Rathburn, and Ed McGinnis are the anchors. Colorist Marcio Menez, and lettering by VCs Joe Caramagna. So I'm friends with uh, a professional artist on Facebook, and I won't call out their name. But he posted a couple days ago, before this issue even dropped, the very first panel of this comic. And he tore it to shreds. Just Ed McGinnis's artwork and something that a choice that was made here that not only Ed McGinnis uh, drew, but also Mark Farmer or maybe Ed McGinnis uh, didn't really tell you who inks what's pages, but um, somebody inked it and didn't change it. And it's just it's all I see right now. It's basically at the end of last issue, Doc Ock tried to inject or did inject the goblin formula into Norman Osborn in order to turn him back into the Green Goblin, because his character development for the past several years is Norman was cleansed of all of his evil, all of his sins, uh, by the Sin Eater uh, back during Nick Spencer's run. And so ever since, Norman Osborn, longtime arch nemesis of Peter Parker, has been trying to help him to uh, help Peter Parker and also try to make up for his sins uh, and try to be a better person. So he's actually been helping. He's been the gold goblin recently. And uh, Dr. Otto Octavius has shown up recently. And is because he's also mad at Norman Osborn, Norman had messed him up uh, and and fricked him over many, many times. Uh, He's like, I'm going to make you what you don't want to be. And I'm going to make you back into the Green Goblin. So he injects him with the Green Goblin serum. And the very first panel is... Norman Osborn on his knees, clutching his arm, which has been injected with the the venom. And his other, he's got like a huge goiter, I think, on his neck. And his shoulder is not where his shoulder should be. There's a whole problem happening uh, with the main character uh, in the panel of Norman Osborn. And it's so glaringly obvious um, and it's all I see. And this this other artist was correct. Someone should have noticed this and fixed it. Uh, but that being said, that's the only problem I have with this issue. I know a lot of people, uh, are mostly on Twitter, surprise, surprise, are hating on this book. But as you, if you've been listening to Fresh Floppies for a while, me and Noel are both on board for this. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's peaks and valleys sometimes with this run with Zeb Wells because I really didn't like what they did with Miss Marvel or how they handled that whole situation and also the revelation that she's coming back, but that's more of a Marvel editorial thing. But this stuff between Dr. Otto Octavius and Norman Osborn is absolutely bonkers fun. Oh, that's Noel texting me. Hi, Noel. Um, so this is such such a blast. I absolutely love watching these two interact. I love the way Zeb Wells and also Dan Slott write Otto. Um, it's so much fun. Uh, it, it, I'm I'm really starting to appreciate these new arms, these new um, octopus arms that uh, Octavius has created which have this like sentient goo, which is injected with his personality. So every little component of the arms are their own separate little like flubber filled um, uh, metal, which do his bidding, which is so dumb. It's so comic booky, but it's kind of fun. And their, their sound effect is guarble guarble. Uh, and then also we've got Peter Parker, uh, because as you know, 
Doc Ock's arms are kind of sentient. They've got sort of an AI to them. They have emotions. They make decisions. Uh, they usually do Doc Octopus's biddings. But now they have developed sort of, uh, I don't want to say a crush, but I'm going to say a crush. They've developed sort of a crush on Peter Parker. And so they have now formed with Peter Parker and, and um, tuned into his spinal column. And so now he's sort of become one with these arms in the way that Doc Ock used to be. And it's affecting his reactions and his personality. And this issue is such a goddamn blast. Issue 30. I just, I'm loving the hell out of this book. I understand why some people aren't enjoying it, but man, oh man, uh, this is this is top of the stack for me every single time it comes out. It's the first thing I read. And uh, except for that one panel, that one oopsie that Ed McGinnis made, this is a gorgeous book. I absolutely love Ed McGinnis's uh, artwork here. Um, you know, back in the day when I first started reading his work, I felt like a lot of his figures were gigantic. Everyone was very uh, roided out, yeah, even if they're not supposed to be. Like he, he would draw even Spider-Man back in the day to be like just muscles on muscles on muscles. And he's toned that down a little bit, which I love. Um, but this, yeah, man, uh, this is uh, fresh AF. This is as fresh as it gets. I'm really enjoying uh, this run on Amazing Spider-Man, especially now that we put sort of the Mar Miss Marvel of it behind us. Uh, it's free to do its own thing, and I'm really, really, ugh, I, I love it. I love it. And there's a gorgeous uh, double-page spread of Spider-Man with his arms fighting Doc Ock against his arms, and it's absolutely gorgeous, so beautiful. Uh, I'm. Uh, it, what a shame about this one panel that opens up the issue. Uh, that is, it looks kind of gnarly. Uh, but he make more than makes up for it for the rest of the issue. Listen, we're on deadlines. You can't. Not everything can be perfect, and that's all right. All right, last book. Man, we're blowing through this. Uh, Superman, the last days of Lex Luthor. It is from DC Comics, obviously, and it is a black label book. So. Not all of the Black Label books follow this format, but most of them do. I actually ran to go get my keys because on my keys I've got a little um, tape measure. And so Black Label books are generally perfect bound, which means they've got the sort of rectangular spine as opposed to being stapled like most comics are. And uh, it's an eight and a half <clears throat> by 11. Uh, by almost 11, eight and a half by almost 11 format, which for comparison's sake, most comic books like Amazing Spider-Man here is 6.75 by 10. So it's slightly oversized black label books, and they're usually for more adult storytelling. If you remember the very first one that came out, it was Batman... Batman something, I forget what the name of it was, but it, it was a crossover with John Constantine, and I think it was drawn by Lieber Mayho, and they had Batman's dick, like they actually showed you the outline of his business for some reason, I'm not quite sure. Uh, they subsequently gone back, and I think uh, darkened it up so you can't really see it, it's just part of the shadow now, uh, which I think is funny, just keep it, if you're going to make that decision, make that decision. But there was such blowback that they were like, oh, I guess we'll erase the penis. The battle wang, if you will. So anyway, Superman, The Last Days of Lex Luthor. This is book one written by my current 
fave, actually longtime fave, Mark Wade, pencils by Brian Hitch, as I mentioned earlier, inks by Kevin Nowlin, colors by David Barron, etc., etc. So because I was talking about Brian Hitch earlier and how much I sort of it's it's he's no longer a pull for me. I don't see the name Brian Hitch on a book and go, oh my God, I gotta read that. I kind of go, oh, all right, you know, it'll at least be solid, right? But I'm I'm rarely blown away or impressed um, by his, I don't know, last 10 years of work, maybe. But this whole issue is gorgeous top to bottom. And it's inked by Kevin Nolan, who is a a penciler in his own right. So he is a longtime penciler and an inker. And he really adds uh, the depth and the textures and everything that I think maybe have been lacking a little bit. But this is an absolute gobsmacker of a book, art-wise. I think it is gorgeous. Uh, I think the colors are a little muted. Uh, I think I would like something a little brighter for a Superman book. But other than that, absolutely, this is this is the Brian Hitch that I grew up loving. I love it. Uh, the presentation is floppy as fuck. All right, fresh as fuck. I always do that. I always say floppy instead of fresh. It's it's fresh, uh, fresh to death. Um, uh, it's got a nice big black uh, logo treatment at the top with textured lettering for the last days of, um, and then a bright image of Superman coming towards the viewer with the sun shining behind him and a bunch of speed lines. Well, they're not speed lines. They're like rays of light, supposedly. Um, so it's very, you're, you're definitely going to see it on the cover, or you're definitely going to see it on the shelf. It's easy to spot. And this is Lex Luthor coming to Superman for help because he has discovered, you know, he's been nutting around with kryptonite <clears throat> for way too long and has wound up poisoning himself in some way that he's not sure because of all of the different things he was experimenting on to try and kill Superman. He, it wound up biting him in the tuchus. And so now he's dying. So he comes to Superman for help. And we've, I've seen this before. Uh, I want to say back during the post-crisis Superman by John Byrne, where Lex Luthor had a kryptonite ring and would wear it all the time just as like, just like uh, open carry, one might open carry again. He just kind of would wear it to sort of um, tease Superman, and also like you can't get a hold of me uh, because I'm wearing this kryptonite ring. And it wound up giving him cancer. He had to put himself into a cloned body of himself because uh, of the cancer that the kryptonite ring gave him. You know, for the longest time, I think. Humans in the DC universe were under the impression that kryptonite didn't only affected Superman and didn't affect humans, but because he always wore this kryptonite ring, he found out the hard way that it does give off radiation to regular humans. I don't know if that has been since, you know, swept under the rug about how radi- uh, the radiation of kryptonite works, but <clears throat> so we've got something very similar here, and this is just a bucket of fun. Uh, they've also done something here that I think is really cool. Mark Wade really loves pulling things from the Silver Age uh, of DC Comics and bringing them and modernizing them. If you're reading Batman, Superman, World's Finest, he's been doing that a lot. 
He's also currently doing that with World's Finest Teen Titans, which is awesome. Uh, but it's also like the original Teen Titans team for the most part, but updated so that they're using, you know, they're live streaming on their iPhones and stuff like that. So they're, he's definitely using the sliding time scale to bring everything to the to the sort of recent past. And one of the things I remember is as a kid, I had a album slash storybook of Superman that you would listen to and read along with. And it had sound effects and voice actors and all this kind of cool stuff that I was blown away by as a small child. And I remember from that story that I had, I was like, oh, so Clark Kent and Lex Luthor existed in the same time in Smallville and grew up together and knew each other as children. And there was some sort of experiment that Lex was doing as a, as a young teenager that wound up starting a fire. Um, and I, I don't remember how, but that's how he lost his hair. Lex Luthor lost his hair and Superman couldn't save him in time. Um, and he winds up blaming Superman for that mistake. And um, th that was not the case with post-crisis, I don't think. Um, you know, uh, there was no Superboy. So there was no Clark Kent and Lex Luthor knowing each other in Smallville and the introduction of Superboy and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of neat that this Black Label book, which is probably about three issues or four issues, <clears throat> it retells that storyline that I remember from being a small kid uh, where they do know each other. And it's some of the most interesting Superman stuff I've read in a while. Mark Waid is absolutely killing it with this first issue. I hope that it is it ends as strong as it starts because, I, you know, as I was reading this, I was like, man, this is something that I'm just going to hand to people uh, when it's collected. Be like, here, you want a good Superman story? This is one of them. Um, it seems like it might be up there with like, uh, Secret Origin and All-Star Superman as just a really solid Superman tale. Um, speaking of uh, All-Star Superman, written by Grant Morrison, it's sort of the inverse of that, where in All-Star Superman, Supes is the one who's dying, and he has to go on these sort of quests that he's self-imposed. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm not used to talking so much. Um, self-imposed... Um, goals that he gives himself. And so this is the opposite of that, where um, Lex is the one who's dying quickly. His cells are eroding and is trying to find a way to uh, not die. So yeah, man, uh, this is also fresh as fuck. Um, Superman, The Last Days of Lex Luthor. I highly recommend this and Amazing Spider-Man are my two favorite books that I've read so far. Uh, Dark Droids is off to a great start. Ultimate Invasion, um, I wouldn't say is an absolute must-buy, but if you like the Ultimates, if you like the Maker, um, and you want to see what's going on with the Ultimate Universe, check it out. Uh, something I'm looking forward to this week that I haven't gotten to yet is the Fall of X Hellfire Gala. Every year... The X-Men books have a Hellfire Gala one-shot. And this has, these are the names on the cover of the book. Duggan, Kubert, Vecchio, Shidi, Dodderman, Pina, Silva, Kassara, Anka, Lali, Laraz, Beredo, Gracia, De La Cruz, Arseniega, and Wilson. That's the, that's the amount of people that worked on this issue. And generally, from my understanding, the Hellfire Gala 
usually kicks off the next era of the Hickman uh, Krakoa X-Men books. So if you're looking to jump into the X-Men, this is probably where you want to start because it kicks off the fall of X. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I I'm really, really behind on all of my X-Men books, but just flipping through this, it looks really, really good. I'm really excited about this. This looks awesome. And it's got just a who's who of talent working on it. So yeah, I'm definitely going to check this out. Uh, email me at cultpopgo at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of this week's books. Do you have a favorite? Uh, what And give me their, uh, their freshness rating. Are they uh, barely fresh? Are they fresh AF? You tell me. Uh, also, tonight we are doing the uh, weekly Cult Pop live stream on YouTube. If you just look up Cult Pop Podcast, you'll find us. We're going live at 8 o'clock, and we're going to be talking about Barbie. Barbie movie. So uh, join us tonight at 8 o'clock. Also, tweet at me at Colt Popco on Twitter. Um, anything else? I think that might be it. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Uh, I know I probably spoke too fast and rambled because I'm nervous because I've never done this by myself. But uh, hopefully you stuck with me. Uh, and if you did, thanks. All right, y'all. Thanks so much, and I'll talk at you later. Thank you for listening to the Cult Pop Network, home to podcasts, live shows, and a whole lot of fun stuff for every flavor of fan. Follow us wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and be sure to join us live every Wednesday night at youtube.com backslash cultpopgo at 8 p.m. Eastern. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to the channel and hit the bell icon so you'll know when we drop new Thunder Rounds and episodes of Fresh Floppies, a spoiler-free show about single-issue comics released each week. Until then, we'll talk at you later.